Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Irvindale. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Christ Jesus. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Today we're going to drill down here in chapter 1 of Luke, verses 13 through 17, to discover what Gabriel had to say about this child that would come into Zechariah and Elizabeth's life, a child whose name would be John. Let's take a look at the passage here, and then we'll dig into it here a bit, beginning with verse 13. But the angel said to him, remember, Zechariah is in the temple. He's offering incense. He thinks he's in there all by himself. And this angelic being appears, and he becomes afraid. And so the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Now, today's message is all about discovering what does the angel have to say about John? What does he tell Zechariah will be uh, John's lot in life? Well, he's going to be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That's an interesting statement. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him. The him there is referencing the Messiah. He will go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Okay, so before I dive into the outline that I've prepared for today, I want to go back to something we were doing last week. Last week, as we were looking at at, at Zechariah and Elizabeth, we talked a little bit about what their names meant. And today, I want to go back to that, but I want to add John into the mix because it's quite an interesting little mixture. Remember that Zechariah means God has remembered. And Elizabeth means God is my oath, and it points toward the faithfulness of God. Well, it's interesting that the child they bring forth, they were told, give him the name John. And the name means God has been gracious or God has shown favor. Now, as I wrote that down on my notes there on the computer screen, I'm staring at it on Thursday. And I'm just stopping there for a moment, looking at that collection uh, of their names. And it occurred to me that maybe I could put that into a pictorial word form. And so I did. And here's what I got. God remembered bringing life to the womb of faithfulness, giving birth to gracious favor. I'm not asking you to make a doctrine out of that or anything or put that on your, on your refrigerator or anything like that. I, I just thought it was interesting. God remembered, talking about Zechariah, bringing faithfulness, bringing life in the womb of God is my oath, God is my faithfulness, Elizabeth giving birth to his gracious favor, which is John. So what did Gabriel, that was just a little aside, what did Gabriel reveal to Zechariah about the future of his prophesied son? Well, first of all, as we've already made note, he will be great. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Let's stop for a moment and think about greatness. What is greatness? How do you define 
greatness. As we think about our culture, our culture would define greatness in many ways by pointing to political power. Those who have it are great. They might point to financial prosperity. Those who are rich are great. Perhaps they would point to formal education. If you have a bachelor's, master, or doctorate degree in some compelling field, then you must be of great intellect. And then, of course, there's always the issue of popularity. If everybody likes you, if everybody wants your autograph, if everybody wants a selfie with you, you must be great. I think these are some of the ways and some of the standards by which our culture defines greatness. Here in the West, we've actually taken a step beyond that. I mean, basically, we have found ourselves in this culture um, uh, assigning greatness to people who have done nothing at all except find a way to be known. They're, They're great simply because they're popular, and that's it. They haven't done anything of value they're just, they're just great in that way. Uh, an example of that, maybe from my generation, uh, sort of, might be uh, uh, Paris Hilton. What, what did Paris Hilton ever do uh, other than find a way to be popular, right? Uh, uh, and yet, many considered her great. I mean, they were snapping her picture every time you, you turn around, and every newscast, somehow or another. Of course, she fell from favor, I guess, or has grown old or something. I don't know. But now, today, this generation, it's the Kardashians, Right? And I'm at, what did the Kardashians ever do? I mean, did they score a touchdown? Did they, I mean, I mean, did they, uh, did they cure cancer? Did they uh, write a great book? You know, I don't know, but there they are on TV, and everybody's looking at them and watching them, and, and, and many people would consider them great. Well, listen, what, however you define greatness, the bottom line is that when we look at John, the son of Zachariah and Elizabeth, he had none of those things going for him, none of them. Uh, his family were nobodies, really, in the bigger scope of thing, from a no-place village. Uh, he had no formal education that we're aware of. Uh, he, had, he, he never had any part in any social institutions. He founded no political movements nor any social causes. Uh, when we get into it a little bit later on and we look at how he would dress himself and how he presented himself publicly, it was quite bizarre. And his diet was even more bizarre than the way he presented himself. He lived in the desert, and, and, and when he began his ministry, he didn't take it to the cultural centers. He kept it out in the wilderness where everybody had to go out of their way to even come to find and hear what he had to say. Uh, beyond that, his teaching was filled with condemnation and denunciation uh, of hypocrisy, the hypocrisy, hypocrisy of the religious establishment. His continual message was one of repentance. He was constantly calling out to people to repent, repent, repent. When, when somebody's calling you to repentance, what are they saying to you? They are saying this. They're saying, you're going the wrong way. That was his message. Folks, you're going the wrong way. You need to turn. You need to move in a new path, in a new way. That was his message. He didn't tell them how to live their best life now. He didn't tell them how to gain God's favor by this, that, and the other, or how to, you know, gain lots of popular money. It was repent. You're going in the wrong way. You are wrong. You need to change. That was his message. I think we can say that uh, John the Baptist was as far from politically correct as one could get. And with so much seemingly going against him in this way, 
how on earth could he be great? Well, I believe the answer really begins many centuries before when Israel wanted a king like other nations. Someone who would represent them well and, and, and bolster their confidence. From the people's point of view, this king would need to be someone who would be tall, dark, and handsome. Physically fit. A good communicator. Someone who would have a winsome, warm personality. In other words, the, the king that, that Israel would have would need to look like a king. He would need to be able to inspire the people to greatness. They chose Saul, and it was a bad choice. Now, he had all the goods. He was tall, dark, and handsome. He had a winsome personality. He appeared to be mighty in battle and all these other things. He had all the goods going for him, yet Saul didn't have the inward qualities of character and spirit that are way more important than outward flash. In time, we find that Saul failed, and And God determined to appoint a new king, so he sent Samuel the prophet to go find the next king. And and ultimately, uh, God directed Samuel to the house of Jesse. Uh, Jesse had several sons who were kind of like Saul. They were were tall and and, and good-looking and and charismatic and had all kinds of good flash going for him. And and Samuel was sure that as he was looking at these older sons, that surely they would be the one, I mean, because they had all the earmarks, you know, physically speaking, uh, of being someone who could inspire the people, right? And, but, no. Uh, The Spirit kept telling Saul, they're not the one. I've rejected him, I've rejected him, I've rejected him. In fact, let me, let me take you um, to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. I, I'm sure that Samuel, as he was doing this search for the king, the one that God would want, he, he, he probably was starting to get frustrated. I know when, whenever we look for a staff member at the church, which we're, we're going to be doing here very soon, it, it, it can get frustrating when you get 60 and 70 and 80 resumes and you're having to pitch this one and that one and the other, and you're trying to find that right person, and it's like, ah! You know, it can be, it's a difficult task. But here's what God said to Samuel, and I think it bears mentioning, that's why I've gone down this path for us as we think about greatness, as we think about John's greatness. God said, don't look on his appearance or on his height or on the height of his stature, Because I've rejected him. For Yahweh sees not as man sees. That's an important statement right there. There's a way that we see things, and there's a way that God sees things. And most of the time, they're diametrically opposed. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When Gabriel said that John would be great, he wasn't talking about greatness as man sees greatness. He was was talking about greatness of soul. He was talking about greatness uh, of of spirit. There was nothing about John externally that would be called great. On the contrary, I think his contemporaries would have said, he's crazy, he's a lunatic, he's eccentric, he's a loser. I mean, I'd say that about somebody dressed in camel's hair and, and eating locust and wild honey. Probably, I'd say that. Maybe not publicly, but, but that's not how Jesus describes John. 
I want you to see what the Lord Jesus Christ said about John. It's in Luke chapter 7, verse 28. We'll be coming to it here in the near future, and we'll be dealing with it more there. But he says to a crowd of people that he's dealing with, he says, he says I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Hmm. Now that's saying something. If we go back in just Israel's history, we run into Solomon. Solomon is written about in Scripture as being the wisest man that ever lived. We see his father David who was said of him that he was a man after God's own heart. We go back to Samuel, one who who was given to the Lord and served him faithfully and, 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 and possessed great great filling of the Spirit for many wonderful feats. We, 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 we come back to Joshua, who led Israel into the Promised Land. We go back to Moses, who led them out of slavery in Egypt. We go back to Jacob and Isaac. And then we finally get to the father of the Israelites, Abraham. And Jesus' statement is, John. And this will really come into play when we get to John's adult story. But John is greater. No one's greater than John. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.